And welcome to Central Coast Voices, a program addressing the ramifications of change in our communities and beyond, and how today's choices will impact tomorrow's community. This program is a project of action for healthy communities, and it's provided in collaboration with KCBX and the Community Foundation of San Luis Obispo County. Today, Fred Monroe and his guests are from the Food Empowerment Project, and they'll discuss how important our food choices are. They'll look at how our food choices are connected to the welfare of animals, humans, and the planet, and the ways that we likely have not noticed it before. We invite you to listen, learn, and participate in the conversation. And while we can't put you on the air today because we do have another guest calling in, I'm more than happy to pass your questions along if you call them in to 805-781-3875. And with that, let's join Fred Monroe and his guests. Over to you, Fred. Thank you, Brad. Glad to be with you today. And before we get too far along, let me bring in our phone guest, too. So, okay, let's see. Kennedy, are you there? I'm here. Okay, then you hold on a second. We're just getting into the program, and thank you for joining us. Um, Kennedy's joining us. I think you're in Kentucky today. I am. I, that, the wording of that's kind of strange. You may be in Kentucky every day, but that's just <laughs> somehow how my brain works. Um, we're meeting today with folks from the Food Empowerment Project. It was founded in 2007 by one of our guests, and we'll introduce them in just a moment. And it's been working on how to show us what we do around food that isn't just the choices we make about what we eat, but it actually looks at the issues of connections to, uh, to animal welfare, human welfare, and the planet in general. An awful lot of what we do around food is not about what we eat as much as it's about what farm workers and agricultural workers um, have to contribute to the process to uh, make it work or not work effectively. And we're going to look at uh, that. Lauren Anolis is the founder of Food Empowerment Project. She's in the studio with us, as in Lee Gitter, who is the administrator and project assistant. On the phone with us today is Kennedy Little. She is the Youth Advocate Coordinator. And thank you, Kennedy, for joining us from Kentucky. Um, It seems like a long way away, but the miracles of modern science and radio, it's good to have the ability to do this. Um, As Brad mentioned, and I'll mention also, because we've got Kennedy on the phone, um, it affects how we can handle incoming calls from from, uh, listeners. But we do want to encourage you to call in with your questions or... um, or clarifications you're looking for or observations, you can call us at 805-781-3875. That's 781-3875. I encourage you to call as early in the program as you can with regard to your topic. Sometimes we have people calling in in the last 10 or 12 minutes of the program, and we can't uh, wrap up the program and fit in their questions, so we'd like to have you part of the discussion also. Lauren, I guess we we really need to start with you because this is an organization you founded in 2007. And I suspect for most of us, what food empowerment is and what the project is, um, is is a new topic on the table for them. Tell us a little bit about the background. Sure. I started Food Empowerment Project as a way to connect various issues of oppression that stem from our food system. So as somebody who went um, vegan, I'm actually originally from Texas, and I went vegan in Texas in the 80s. Um, And, you know, I also am a Mexican, and I grew up with an understanding of what was happening to farm workers. Um, So I had a lot of experience with caring about various issues, um, but being a young person and not feeling like I could make a big difference. So Food Empowerment Project was really started as a way to help show people that we can act 
against various oppressions in the food industry by what we call eating our ethics, making sure that what we eat shares our values and also can make a difference and impact others. You, um, in the notes that you provided on your website, it talks about you being a vegan food justice organization. So I think to, to build on the question, the first question, what is food justice and what is lacking in food justice based upon the way most of us eat or acquire food on a regular basis? So food justice, I think that, I don't know if that there's one clear definition. To many of us, food justice... We, we have time for three. <laughs> <laughs> is, um, can be basically the lack of access for black, brown, and indigenous communities to lack access to healthy foods, that there is no justice when access to healthy food is not equal. Groups like ours also add in farm workers to that because there's an injustice taking place against farm workers, as well as, you know, fast food workers, restaurant workers. For an organization like Food Empowerment Project, we're adding one on. We're adding, sorry, we are adding the animals to that component. We're adding the fact that non-human animals also should not be subjugated to violence or oppression in the food system. So when we say we're a vegan food justice organization, we're saying we want compassion and justice for all, not one or the other. But everybody together is equal because the same systems that seek to oppress human animals are also oppressing non-human animals. Okay, then we're gonna we're gonna build on that question. And this is yeah, this this may be kind of the Spanish Inquisition of food totally food right. issues. I I would for for sake of discussion uh, and not to argue, but for sake of discussion, I think a lot of our listeners might say how you treat an agricultural worker in a dairy or uh, carnivorous animal environment. A carnivorous food source environment um, can possibly be ad- be addressed, and and that worker can be dealt with as ethically, as safely, and as responsibly in that environment as they can. If maybe they their job is at a you know a soy milk factory. So, what what are the crossovers? I'm trying to make sure I'm clear on your question. I would say that I don't think that they are the same, first of all, um, and it's not happening either. Okay. Then, then, then let's, let's expand on that thing. Yeah, I would agree they're not the same, but I think for some of us who are not well-versed in this, they may seem like the same. So we might need to have a better understanding of why they're not the same. Lee or Kennedy? Um, I think that... A big part of that would be the psychological part of those factories. Um, would you rather work in a soy milk factory or on the killing floor of, you know, a slaughterhouse? Um, and and we also focus on not just the, the factories, but also in the fields. Um, so there's really no, yeah, there's no way to change the way that those people are treated in those fields. Um, I, I would I would say that that's a very good answer, mm-hmm. okay? because maybe thinking about what the psychological um, limitations are or challenges of a given work environment may not be within the, the realm of what people think about. 
and nobody yeah. decides they want to be a, kill animals every single day. You know, that's why they have some of the highest turnover rates in slaughterhouses. And working in any of the farms with animals, you also have the, the pollutants that are impacting them as well. Very, a, a very good point. So, so that becomes really part of what we're we're looking at as far as ways to look at how the broader community, other than just what I eat, is going to affect what's going on in the world and what's going on for farm workers and you know communities in in general. Um, Kennedy, are you there? Yes, I'm okay. here. Hello. Hi there. Um, what I'm I'm going to kind of put you on the spot. You are the you are the youth coordinator for this program. I'm a youth advocacy coordinator. Um, what got you involved in this topic, and what is what is within the the realm of your regular responsibilities with your position here? Yeah, that's a great question. Thank you for asking it. Um, I started thinking about the way I eat at the age of 10, and that curiosity came from me having questions or confusion about how um, the meat or um, how the flesh got into the things I was eating. And since I was young, I always knew that I had a deep love and admiration for animals, but I realized that this wasn't necessarily being crossed over with the way I was living. I felt like I was not eating my ethics at the age of 10. And so later on, I began to make those changes within my um, lifestyle. I that I would never go to a zoo. I um, began eating uh, plant-based as much as I could. My parents were extremely supportive, supportive um, which I think is something um, that I have the privilege of having and something that most young people do not. Um, and just over time, I began to realize that my values and my missions were truly changing as an individual. And um, once I turned 17, that's when I went completely vegan. And it's something that I wish I had done sooner. Um, but it actually led me to kind of see the world in a whole new light. And so I'm so grateful for the value position I have with Food Empowerment Project um, because it allows me to connect with a lot of other youth who feel the same way about the environment and the different climate crises that are happening, um, the way that human animals and non-human animals are also being treated within the agriculture industry. Um, so there's a lot of different layers to why I do live the way I do, but I think most importantly it's about extending that compassion to all living beings and um, also just Spreading that awareness, Food Empowerment Project has so many different extensive resources um, to work with people in the community. And as you mentioned before, technology is so incredible. So a lot of the work I do is um, via technology. And so that allows me to reach out to a lot of different youth. Right now we're working on our youth scholarship contest, um, which also gets young people involved in learning about fostering compassion and um, being a, um, I guess, more engaged person within society and learning about these different barriers. Wow. <laughs> Please, um, I, I would suggest when this program is over that you go in and take a uh, – you can actually usually download a, an audio file of this. Please take what you just said and save it and um, and make it available to anybody who questions – ask that question again because <laughs> that was that was a delightfully re, um, complete Thank answer to the so question. Much. Thank you. Um, I guess for for all three of you, and, and and my guests generally understand, I'm not quite sure who who of a given topic has has the expertise in what area. So I generally just put out broad questions. For someone who gives you the following statement, and I'll and and I'll not not defend the statement, but suggest that it may be one that you hear otherwise. 
I want to become a more responsible consumer of food, and I want to deal more responsibly with the planet and with agricultural workers, and I don't want to become a vegan. How do you answer that question? Or is it maybe there isn't an answer? There's always going to be an answer. Okay. Um, I don't know if that's always the answer that they're going to want to hear because I think the question back to them is, you know, what difference are you trying to make? Because if they're not willing to consider compassion as one of the utmost importance when looking at what they eat, then, then that should be – that is actually the guiding force, I would think, of how they feel about all of these issues. Um, so I would kind of turn it back to them. But I do believe that there is a way that people who aren't vegan but who would consider going vegan can start. And that's, you know, to, for farm worker justice is to make sure that you're supporting organizations like the Coalition of Immokalee Workers and supporting any of the grocery stores that have signed on to their food, fair food program, to boycott companies that they're asking people to boycott, to make sure you're not buying chocolate that is sourced from slavery and the worst forms of child labor, to make sure that you're speaking out against corporations that place restrictive deeds on their former properties, preventing other people from accessing grocery stores. And absolutely a part of that is doing your part to stop consuming non-human animals. And that could be by giving up one thing at a time. I need to back you up. There was so much <laughs> stuff there. I, I, I'm sorry I don't have an outline of it right now. Um, go back to the beginning of that. Because, oh, go ahead. Go ahead, Kennedy. All right. If I could just add to Lauren's point, um, I think everything that she said is extremely valid. And for a lot of us who are curious about changing our lifestyle to be more compassionate individuals, these changes don't happen overnight. I know that for many years I was vegetarian and felt like I had, like, um, so many other things I wanted to do, um, but it really does happen. It, it changes um, things. They do sometimes take um, a little bit of progression, um, but you, once you start taking those steps within your lifestyle to be a better consumer, then a lot of things will follow. Um, working with different groups with Slight Food Empowerment Project and just exposing myself to a lot of other progressive um, groups within this movement, you just begin to learn and pick up on different things so that one day you might eventually be able to adopt this lifestyle. So between what you just said and what Lauren mentioned with regard to issues of chocolate, and we'll, and I assure you we'll get into issues of chocolate again, um, so there becomes an entry-level way for a lot of people to maybe look at this and they haven't. And that may be an example. Maybe for myself what that comes down to is looking at what chocolate I choose to consume and choose not to consume or purchase based upon some knowledge of what is um, is you know, chocolate that is grown, uh, you know, the beans are grown in a responsible way or with responsible agriculture, and I'm sure we're going to get into that in a minute. Um, we do have a, a, que a question from a listener that Brad's going to share with us, so um, jump on in, Brad. All right, Fred. Mark from uh, Slow called in, and he's looking for any recommendations on how to go vegan. Uh, and he also wants to find out how he can support, how everybody can support the food empowerment program. And uh, as a wife, I'm, my wife's a vegetarian, so I'm very veggie friendly. Excellent. Yeah, but uh, uh, so we eat a lot of plant based food in our diet. But I'm still, I'm I haven't given it up. But I, but I'm okay. I'm, I'm very I'm very plant based friendly. <laughs> but but Mark's looking for some uh, recommendations on how to go the the full V as as the, I hear some people have called it, and how to support uh, the food empowerment program itself. Okay, so two questions we don't don't want to lose track of. One of them is how they can go full vegan. 
and the other is specifically how anyone can choose to support this program? For um, going vegan, I would say that for anybody who kind of has the wall up about it and doesn't think that they can go vegan, I would always suggest maybe trying to eliminate some of the things that you don't like much anyway as to start because then you're successful. Um, But if you care about a particular animal, that's a way to go as well. But really just to be kind to yourself and patient to yourself. Slowly give up if you, you know, give up eggs if you don't like eggs. Just Then just stop eating all eggs. I think it's a, like Kennedy was saying, it's a slow progression. Um, for me, I did it overnight when I was in high school. Um, and so got rid of all my leather shoes and belts, which made my sisters very happy. Um, but, you know, it's a matter of what feels good to you and making sure that you're successful and remembering that the changes that you're making are going to make a difference in your life and the lives of thousands of other non-human animals. So, and to add on to that, Mark wants to know how he can contact your organization, basically. Usually not hard to figure out, but... Yeah, you can find us on social media, um, all social medias, um, as well as our website at, uh, got, I'm sorry, um, foodispower.org. Um, and you can also volunteer. You can find a volunteer form on our website as well. And I will suggest to listeners what I suggest to everyone, and that is you are amazed often by how simple and direct Google is. If you Google Food Empowerment Project, I can tell you the first thing that's going to come up is indeed this organization with a Google sidebar that also goes to their Wikipedia site. It's not hard to find. I generally check those things out before I have topics on the program because they bring me in the loop to to some extent. Um, I'll, this is going to sound somewhat flip, and I don't want it to, and I don't want that to be the case. Prior to the program, uh, I was talking to Lauren about, um, you know, the, the, a, a flip comment from me, which is I could probably put up with leave, removing any food from my diet I possibly could as long as I can have um, a decent ice cream, a, a decent cherry ice cream. And uh, Lauren advised me that there's a ice cream store in San Luis Obispo that has oat milk-based ice cream that may indeed uh, convince me very quickly that that's not hard to do. So I would suggest to our listeners that it's not hard to find information, and it's not hard to find information through this organization. I think it took Lauren about five nanoseconds to be able to tell me where I can find that ice cream, and I will probably stop there on my way out of town today. So um, I think there there are a lot of ways we can look at this. Okay. Let's go back to the, the, the key question of how do you start even exploring the process for yourself if you decide you want to go vegan? I think, like you mentioned, Google is a great start. Um, just picking a dish that you really love and looking up a recipe that doesn't contain animal products, that's how I started. Um, luckily, I have access to a lot of products, um, substitutions. There's a lot of a lot of substitutions. There's egg replacement. There's Anything you can think of, um, hot dogs, sausages, um, if you have, you know, most grocery stores carry that, those products. So I would start there. Okay. If you don't feel like a, the grocery store you go to carries those, where, where are you likely to find those if you want to maybe get out of the mainstream of, um, of chain grocery stores? The slow co-op. Mm-hmm. Um, regularly shop at the slow co-op. Um, I don't know if Lassen's is considered a chain, but Lassen's has a lot of them as yeah. well. 
Kennedy, I'll ask you because you you live in a state that I would um, would probably assume is not the most vegan friendly environment in the world, um, and that's probably not fair. But I think that may be um, what I would consider reality, even though my reality may be skewed. Um, what kind of response do you get from the uh, the average person who finds out what your day job is? No, you. there's definitely some truth to that statement. Um, living in Kentucky, I ha- definitely have experienced um, questions and comments about my lifestyle um, and just confusion. Um, Kentucky is a very heavily agricultural state. We depend on farmers for a lot of stuff here, and they are very big for our economy here. Um, but also with that comes a belief that I have that no animal should have to suffer um, for food or to be a part of a product. Um, And so those are just the beliefs that I hold. And because those are my reasonings, a lot of individuals are able to kind of reason with that and understand that. Um, Kentucky does have some really great um, vegan spots. uh, And also vegan alternatives are very prominent across the nation um, for individuals that do have the privilege of having access to that in their community. And so going into a store and just picking out a vegan alternative versus going towards the animal-based item is something that comes simpler over time. Um, And, yeah, I think that definitely having a set reason for why you're wanting to make that transition makes it a lot easier for you to stick with it and also to share that experience and that belief with others as well. We're, we're going to let you write write and speak all of the announcements for this organization. <laughs> Lauren, if you're not doing that already, you probably need to. My goodness. Okay. Yes. Thank you. I'm, we know how spectacular I, she is. I'm glad you're on the line with us today. <laughs> Truly, it's um, the, the, the precision of your, of your explanations and, and, uh, and helping us understand this is, is delightful. Um, I, I want to go back because, Lee, you were talking about uh, – about picking foods and and how you you understand what's available, and and Kennedy's talking about some of the things that um, that may may or may not be available um, in, in Kentucky. Um, I'm not sure if these pages are part of your website or it's general information, but there's a whole series of of websites that you've shared with us, like vegan Mexican food, vegan Chinese food. So veganmexicanfood.com will lead our, um, folks to the real information about how to to prepare foods or how to find those available foods? So veganmexicanfood.com is vegan recipes for Mexican food. As a Mexican, it was very important for me to be able to show people in my community, including my family, that in order to eat our comfort foods, we we didn't have to include animals, that there was no need to have suffering as part of what it is that we eat. So we created vegan Mexican food, which is in English and in Spanish, Um, And it's a similar situation that we did for vegan Filipino food, vegan Chinese food, and vegan Lao food, a way to have our comfort foods without without animal suffering and to show people in our community that there's a way to have our comfort foods, that we do not have to give up our culture in order to be vegan. Wow. <laughs> this is this is I apologize for um for not having a, a follow an instant follow-up question because it's just um the, the information that you're sharing is 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 remarkable. I think for a lot of us who've not spent much time thinking about becoming vegan or what is involved in questions of uh and challenges of agriculture around 
the way most of us eat, this has been very, very interesting to listen to. Brad, you have another comment from a listener? I do, and this one coming from Los Angeles uh, today. Alejandra is listening, and she has a question um, uh, because she's looking for cultural recipes and is looking for specifically the experience as a Mexican-American going vegan and and recipes that still fit culturally into your diet. How have you adapted that, and if you have any suggestions around folks who are looking for uh, culturally meaningful, I, I don't want to say swap-outs, but alternatives uh, for a vegan lifestyle. Thank you. As as a Mexican who also acknowledges and embraces my indigenous ancestry, I would also say that it, it's, it's really important for us to take a good look at our food and where it comes from and how it got to us. Because a lot of the food that we, our ancestors ate, um, a lot of it was plant-based. I'm not saying we were vegan, but a lot of it was plant-based. The reality is that Columbus brought the cows over on his second voyage. And so colonization, we find dairy to be a legacy of colonization. Our, my ancestors did not consume dairy. So a lot of times when you hear things about black, brown, and indigenous people not being able to digest milk, which a lot of people call lactose intolerant, some of that is because it wasn't natural for our ancestors to be consuming that milk to begin with. So, you know, we like to turn it on its head a little bit, and instead of saying lactose intolerant, saying we're lactose normal, when in fact it is not normal to consume the milk of another species, and two, the fact that there's nothing wrong with those of us whose dietary biological um, existence is one that does not really digest readily the product or the legacy of colonization. Very, very good point. And we'll get back to that. There's some other aspects of that that I want to get to also, but Brad's got another caller's uh, comments. Not uh, quite yet. I was just going to say we'll. Uh, I'm going to uh, get their question right after our uh, bottom of okay, the hour break. Okay. Sorry about that. Okay, thank you. Um, you you bring up a very good point though because for for a lot of folks, um, v, trying to define the different different aspects of 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 a of a vegan diet, um, for some people that means just not eating refined meat products or um, it does it doesn't exclude dairy it doesn't exclude eggs. Um, can you help us get a better understanding? Um, for any of the three of you, as a better understanding as to how we break down those levels of dietary choice, because it hadn't occurred to me that for some people it's well, it had occurred to me that for some people it's not real clear what those dividing lines are. Um, I can only speak for myself. Um, I, I'm from Wisconsin, and. Um, I always cared for animals, and I continued to eat them, and I decided one day just to try vegetarianism. And um, after a while, I realized that to be vegetarian and for animal rights reasons isn't, doesn't make a lot of sense, so I, I then cut out those dairy products and the eggs. Yeah, so a lot for a lot of us, veganism is – so vegetarians still consume eggs and milk, which still is the suffering of non-human animals. Vegans don't consume any of that, but we also are very aware of, like Kennedy had mentioned, the injustices and in, say, the cosmetics industry where animals are tested on. Um, so we don't wear 
products tested on animals. We don't go to things like aquariums or rodeos or things like that, anything that also includes any type of exploitation of animals. And we don't wear leather or silk because our goal is really, it's very simple. And I think people make it seem very political or very complicated, but it is so simple that all we're trying to do is reduce some of the suffering in this world, that there's a tremendous amount of suffering take place. And we have the ability to reduce and not be a participant in one of them. And I say that for people who have access to healthy foods. We have that ability. We have that privilege to say this injustice is not going to take a place in my name. For a lot of folks, the question – and the, when some of the people that, that I know um, I was talking with about doing this program, the, the question that came up um, from more than one person was – that as they understood it, it was difficult to effectively keep a adequate amount of protein in the diet of you, your diet if you're a vegan. And I guess I, my question is, how do you keep an adequate amount of protein in your diet if you are vegan? Um, because that becomes a key question for people who may be looking for either an understanding or an excuse not to, um, not to explore this. I mean, we're not an organization that – we're not registered dietitians or anything like that. But we do know that every food that you eat has protein in it. And there's a lot of information online about this. There's actually a lot – I think the newest documentary on Netflix is about twins. And one of them – some of them are athletes and how they're showing them how to get enough protein plant-based. So there, there is a lot – there's a lot of vegan athletes out there. There's famous vegan athletes mm-hmm. who I can't – um, Sedano Chara, he was a hockey player. Um, he was plant-based, um, and he played up until I think he was 42 or 43, uh, which is a long time for a hockey player. Kennedy, do you remember any other athletes that are vegan? I, I can't name um, any right now, um, but I do think that it's important to add that for a lot of these animals, farmed animals within the industry um, of animal farming, they are... Um, they are herbivores, so they do not eat um, uh, animal products of any kind. And so basically, when they are processed um, for food, we're basically taking all of their protein from basically a second source. And so what vegans are trying to do is we're trying to remove that third party and just go straight to the source of legumes, beans, um, peas, a lot of different things that naturally carry those proteins because that's where a lot of these farmed animals are getting it from in the first place. And so instead of buying into an industry that exploits animals, that prematurely kills them and mutilates them, um, it's about separating that and also using it in a way to um, uplift our own and empower our own selves um, by being closer to our food and being more connected um, and uh, by also making the system better for uh, workers within the industry. Thank you. We're going to take a quick break. Brad's going to take um, control of us again here and look after things for a minute or two. This is Central Coast Voices. We're talking today about how important our food choices are. And we're talking with folks from the Food Empowerment Project. And we'll be back with you shortly. Brad, take it away. Yeah, Fred, we're going to make this a really quick one because we've got a lot of calls that are coming through with people who have comments. So we're going to make this one pretty quick and then we'll throw it back to you. 
Uh, we're going to check out the KCBX community calendar and invite you to check out an afternoon concert with Dirty Cello, a San Francisco-led, uh, cello-led blues Americana and rock band on Saturday, February 17th. They are coming uh, to the Cambria Center for the Arts. For tickets and for more information, you can visit cambriarts.org or visit the KCBX community calendar at kcbx.org, where... The community calendar features arts, entertainment, and nonprofit events here in San Luis Obispo, Santa Barbara, and Southern Monterey counties. You could submit your item or event to be shared, and you will find it on the calendar page right there at the website, kcbx.org. Ahead today on our Thursday on KCBX, we've got fresh air coming up next, uh, actually this afternoon from 3 to 4, Marketplace from 4 to 4.30, followed by All Things Considered from 4.30 to 6.30. Latino USA follows this program at 2. Right now, let's uh, keep it quick and we'll return to Fred Monroe and his guests on Central Coast Voices. Back to you, Fred. Great. Thank you, Brad. Um, You know, sometimes people assume that we're going to have a topic that just doesn't have enough latitude to make it interesting but boy this one is is delightful and i appreciate having our guests in the discussion our guests today are from the um food empowerment project lauren arnalis who's the founder lee uh, gitter who's administrator and project assistant and on the phone we have kennedy little she's a youth advocate coordinator for the program um brad do you have a anybody in our loop right now or i guess he's on another call right now we have a number of callers coming in and so brad will sort and sort those out as we can okay one of the things that pops out when i look at all the information that you shared with us lauren is the issue of um how how indeed chocolate is produced how indeed chocolate um, products are are processed and um for lack of a better way of putting it the issues of child labor uh, and slavery literally in the chocolate industry can you um, bring us up to speed a little bit on that? Absolutely. I'm going to start also by saying a lot of people are like, veganism, how does that connect? And for an organization like ours, again, many of us went vegan because we didn't want to cause harm to non-human animals. And for us, that compassion extends to all of our food choices, which is why we care about farm workers who pick produce. And is also why we look globally about where our food comes from in the sense that chocolate can be vegan, um, but it may not be cruelty-free if it's at the hands of child labor and slavery. So it's happening in certain countries such as Western Africa and Brazil. You have children um, who are working in the, in, in the cacao fields. Sometimes they're stolen. Sometimes they are sold. Sometimes they are kidnapped. And they are um, children from 6 years old, 17 years old, who are carrying and wielding heavy machetes where they cut themselves often. They are being forced to carry heavy cacao pods that are about 100 pounds. Um, And sometimes they're locked in at night to prevent them from escaping. And worse, there's been accounts as well as some who have had the bottoms of their feet cut open to prevent them from running away. And all of this is for a luxury such as chocolate so that the industry does not have to pay the farmers a living income in order for them to profit. Are there sources of chocolate that that you're aware of that are not being produced in this fashion? Yeah, we you know we go based on country of origin. We do not go based on any certification because every single certification has been found to be problematic when it comes to um, what's actually happening in places like Western Africa. And so we have a list of chocolates that we do and do not recommend based on where their chocolate is being sourced from. 
So we also have a free app that people can download because the packages of chocolate don't always say where it is that they come from. We do the work to make it easier for people to, like as we've said, eat your ethics. That if they care and they don't want to contribute to the suffering of and what's happening in Western Africa and Brazil, that they can opt out and they can buy chocolate that we recommend. And one of the largest companies um, that I can think of off the top of my head that we do recommend is um, Paul the Newman's O's. Um, that they're, they don't use chocolate sourced from those areas. Good to know. Brad, you have some listeners with some I comments do. or questions, okay? I do. We've had uh, several folks calling in. So uh, this actually, this last uh, bit of discussion has um, kind of dovetailed with uh, um, a question uh, from Peggy in San Luis Obispo, who was looking for more detail about the social justice issue around uh, workers and which countries they're from, and as you were mentioning, some of the conditions that they are experiencing um, doing this uh, doing this work. Um, and then um, we've got a listener out in Kentucky, Dr. Little, who has called in. And Dr. Little has uh, brought up the subject of basically food, you know, food-deprived areas uh, like inner cities. How do we get sustainable food to them so that we have healthier lifestyle outcomes in the inner cities versus the types of food, meat-based products, and, and other unhealthy foods that are just being uh, the only thing available in some of our inner city stores? Lots to chew on. Yeah. <laughs> okay. Why don't, why don't we start back with the the, um, the last question then? How how does that kind of sorting out of your sources and where you can find what you need um, come into play, and, and how do you do that? Are you referring to like produce, like how are produce workers treated, or in general? Because we we have information on our site broken down by f- some commodities. Um, so we have a list of. Um, uh, go ahead. Okay, Brad, I, you just, I just believe that the caller, that, yeah. Yeah, the caller was looking for generalized information about about you know where where some of these uh, uh, these folks are from and some of the conditions that they experience. If it's available on your website, certainly uh, you can you can direct the the Peggy to that website and she can get that information. But I think she was just looking to get a little bit more of that fleshed out from a social justice standpoint. Sure, we have so when it comes to farm workers, we do have an extensive information on farm workers and we do work on farm worker justice here issues here in California and farm workers you know who feed all of us not just vegans but feed everybody are treated abominably in this state um, and aren't, don't always have access to many of the benefits that most workers in California have they are subject to um, wage theft sexual harassment so there isn't a whole you know we can't say like with with um, animal products, remove it from your diet. Everybody needs produce. So it's a matter of making sure that we're buying produce. Um, always helpful if you can talk to the growers themselves. We have some great farmers markets in the, in the county that people can support. Um, it's also We also have information on our website about how people in the banana industry, coconut industry, Coffee. Coffee industry, avocado yeah. industry are treated as well. And we do have recommendations on companies that we feel comfortable recommending. I, I suspect one of the things that comes up in the, the challenges with this is wage differential in North America versus many places or most places outside of North America or Europe um, affect how well we can monitor things. Um, if if the wages if the if the hourly wage for a farm worker in the United States is a fair wage, 
there is some country somewhere else in the world that is competing against that and making it um, luring, if you will, uh, processing companies and manufacturing companies away from a market that that where the wages may be too high, but we may do a better job of of addressing the needs and the challenges of of agricultural workers. I mean, um, you know, Cesar Chavez and the the farm worker movement is 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 sixty years ago, and we still have not addressed everything. But it is it has helped the United States have a better working environment for farm workers than a lot of the rest of the world. I think. I, we have a long way to go, even in the state of California. Yeah. I mean, we just not within the last. 10 years, less than 10 years, did they actually finally get overtime pay. We still have farm workers, many farm workers who are unhoused. They live in their cardboard boxes. They live in their pickup trucks. They live on the creeks. And some of these are farm workers picking grapes for wine. And this is how they're living. So we have a long way to go still because, one, the biggest thing, of course, is we're not paying them a living income. We're not paying them the ability um, to thrive and to survive. Yeah, very good point. Brad, did you have someone else? No? Okay. Let me be real careful. Um, Kennedy, you still with us? I am. Okay. Yes. <laughs> I know it's tough being on the on the other end of the phone sometimes. And yes, and, I wish I was there with you all, yeah. but I can't be right now. <laughs> yeah. What What is as as a youth coordinator? I suspect. Um, I mean, my my diet. Well, I'm in my seventies. My diet is not terrific, but I can assure you my diet is a lot better than it was when I was 20. Mm-hmm. Um, so I suspect you are, you are probably getting a lot of um, questions from people your own age as to, uh, gee, why is this important? I'm, I'm doing fine the way I am. Mm-hmm. Yeah, um, I think that, well, one, it's never too late to start making changes to your lifestyle. Um, I think, or too young either. Um, especially if you have the support system and the ability to make those changes. Um, but I do get a lot of questions um, about how I'm doing it. Um, recently, I started an organization on my campus to kind of focus on just the social injustice issues that are happening surrounding our food and also to educate about the environment and also what's happening within the animal agriculture industry. So doing those kind of like on-the-ground work, um, work initiatives, I think educate people and answer a lot of those lingering questions that many might have. Um, on campus, though, I am an advocate for bringing in plant-based options to our school cafeterias and dining halls. That's something that I think is very important that as students who are paying for a, a, um, a meal plan, that we have options that are available for us on campus, whether it be having um, a dairy milk alternative or having um um, a pasta option that's available that has protein um, on the side um, or just having like a patty burger that is um, full of protein um, that is vegan. So these are the small little steps that I take within um, my life. Um, and then, of course, it wouldn't be possible without the help of a lot of other young people that are interested in this lifestyle as well. Thank you. To, to Lauren and to Lee, I'm I'm wondering what people, besides going to your website and and looking for information, what type of information programs, what type of um, of webinars or things like that do you have available to um, – because we can do some education with this program, of course, today, uh, on the radio program today, but there's a lot – the more we talk about it, the more I realize there's just tons and tons of stuff we haven't even thought about. 
you folks may have thought about it because you've been involved in this. This is now an organization that's a, about 15 years old. Um, but for for the the newbie to all of this, I, again, I wonder where you start. I think social media. Um, our social media is a great place to start because we have a wide variety of content there. We also have on our website, we have like eat your ethics, like 15 things you can do. So we actually created a list because we know that everybody kind of wants to have like, what can I do? How can I start? So we created a list. And, you know, some of it's easy, right? Some of it's maybe more difficult. Um, But we try to make it kind of encompassing all of these issues because our goal overall is to inform people but also to show people how they can make a difference. And so with everything that we do, we want people to remember that part, that every single time they eat, they have the ability to make a difference and to say something about themselves and say something about the type of world they want to live in. Can you share part of the list with us? I have it in my bag. (laughs) (laughs) Well, all right. So where I'm, I'm still looking for, other than getting information, I'm wondering where we start to answer people's concerns about I'm 60 years old, I'm 50 years old, how do I go about changing the way I look drastically at food? My mom went vegan at 65. Um, she just listened to what I had to say and did some research online about where her food came from, and she's been vegan for four years now. Well, that <laughs> now what do you say? <laughs> I guess there's there there maybe maybe your can we get your mom to write an essay about about the process for her? And I'm not being sarcastic when I say that. I think that someone who's that age and she's younger than I am, um, who can share w- with with us exactly what it took to go through that process. I mean, mm-hmm. it took Lauren five nanoseconds to tell me where there was a source that did not have dairy fat for me to get the ice cream, and she even named pretty much named the flavor that's my favorite. Um, it, the information is there. Mm-hmm. So. It's definitely there, and, and you get better at, at um, knowing where things are once you're vegan for a while. And she lives in Wisconsin. Yeah, she's still in the middle of nowhere, <laughs> Wisconsin. Her Her husband... A uh, big deer hunter, you know, um, but she's doing it. No problems at all, and she's happy and healthy. I mean, that's the other plus, right, is like when you go vegan, you're doing a good thing for the non-human animals, but it has a tremendous impact on your own health and the planet. That's that's the recurring theme that we've had today, and mm-hmm. this is not just about what <laughs> our individual health is like. It's what um, – how it affects farm workers, how it affects you know communities, how it affects indigenous people. So you found the list. I did. Okay. All right. So we start with the hard one. Is that bad? We say go vegan if you care about animals. <laughs> if you care about animals, uh, to go vegan. Shop with care, making sure that you don't support companies that abuse human or animal rights. Lend your voices to the for, to support farm worker justice. Choose organic when you can. Again, one, using organic doesn't necessarily mean that the treatment of the farm workers is any better, but it does mean that they're not being doused with agricultural chemicals. Um, choose ethical chocolate. Think outside the bottle, meaning just don't use single-use water bottles. Bring your own reusables when you go to eat. Buy local. And, you know, when you go to the farmer's market, we really do encourage people to try to support the black, brown, 
and um, BIPOC-owned um, food stands because they have suffered greater injustices um, than others. Um, support living wages. You know, one of the things that came up was the lack of access to healthy foods in black and brown and indigenous communities. And one of the ways we all can play a part in making a difference in that is by supporting living wages. Um, checking out our website, speaking out about any food injustice that you hear, making sure you speak up, get involved, and then, of course, signing up to our email list and spreading the word. So we don't lose track of it because I, it was in my notes, and I think I, I want to make sure we don't forget it. Um, Lauren also shared with me in, in the notes before the program that one of the things that their organization is looking for is available um, – recipes for people who we would classify as soul food as uh, as part of in honor of black history month they would like to have more of an opportunity for foods that um that i have to say that tend to be oftentimes high in lard ask so, kennedy do you want to say something about <laughs> that say something about vegan soul food I would love to. So um, I'm currently working on this project with Jazz Bowler, who is our um, vegan programs coordinator at Food Empowerment Project. And this project is to highlight cultural foods from the African diaspora that do not include animal ingredients and that model that it is possible to eat vegan while still enjoying those cultural comfort foods. And we are having a call out for um, vegan um uh, African food from uh, like the Caribbean, Afro-Latinx communities, Cajun vegan soul foods, and then of course traditional Southern vegan soul foods um, that I enjoy and that many others might enjoy as well. Um, and it's just to share that there has been a lot of change throughout history and um, there's still a way to hold on to that culture and that heritage that a lot of us as um black individuals hold on to in society. Um, so we're very excited to share this. We're going to be getting um, recipes all throughout uh, this February, and then our launch date will be on Juneteenth. So stay tuned for that. Okay. I suspect I'll have to find an alternative to fried catfish, but we'll, we'll look at some choices. Thank you. We'll be on the lookout. Okay. Yeah. Um, for, for regular listeners, and, and Kennedy, you weren't part of this, this, this part of the discussion before the program, so I apologize for this. I always make sure the last few minutes give my, my guests a chance to, uh, to kind of have their last word because it's not a surprise that this host is notoriously talking too much on his own program, even though he's got wonderful guests in the studio. So, Kennedy, I will start with you. Please um, take a minute or two and tell us what you want to make sure our listeners don't forget. That is a really good question. I think that it's important that we all know we can hold individual power um, and that we don't have to wait for other people to um, take the first step um, and that we can do it on our own. And also to support um, uh, BIPOC businesses, Black, Brown, and Indigenous businesses in different community groups. Um, all support is needed. And also to continue to um, support the work of Food Empowerment Project. It truly is a place to look for look for information if you're looking um, for a more ethical uh, lifestyle. Thank you, Lee. What do you want to make sure people uh, go away with, other than the knowledge that your mother in her sixties was able to become <laughs> vegan? Um, yeah, I just urge everyone to um, look into where their food comes from, and um, if they're able to, give veganism a try. Because um, I went vegan ten years ago, and the only regret I have is not going vegan sooner. Um, and it, when you talk to vegans, that's usually what 
vegans say, all vegans say that they wish that they did it sooner. Um, I'm, I'm going to put you on the spot a little bit because mm-hmm. you, you were briefer than I expected you to be. Um, can, can you give me an idea? What is, what is your average? What is, the, what is in your normal breakfast, your average daily breakfast? Uh, breakfast is tricky because I, I never really ate breakfast. Um, <laughs> skip to lunch. Yeah. <laughs> okay. I'll, I'll let you skip to lunch. Um, I actually track everything that I eat because I, I do like to exercise, lift weights. Um, so all, all my foods are, you know, weighed out. Um, but I, I eat a lot of um, tofu. Tofu is really great. Um, soy is not bad for you, uh, despite what a lot of people say. Um, I eat a lot of soy um, because you can take tofu and it takes on the seasoning really well of what you're what you're cooking and and most um meats you don't eat those without seasoning it's the seasoning that tastes good so if you just put that seasoning on tofu rather than a body part um you're still going to be satisfied so i i eat a lot of tofu um i eat a lot of greens um broccoli is good for you Uh, a lot of there's some protein in there as well um I tend to stay away, try to stay away from the quote-unquote meat alternatives, um, but I do indulge myself once in a while with those. I think if you if you go back and add breakfast to your diet, you could probably have avocado toast. Oatmeal. If, depending on where the avocados are from, yes. <laughs> Our local okay. ones are good. Okay. Um, I thank you for your comments. Lauren, you get the last word of the last word. I would want people to remember that if they have the privilege of eating every day more than once a day, that that comes with some amount of responsibility and that they have the ability to have a tremendous positive impact on themselves, on the planet, and on other beings if they just take some time to be more informed about where their food choices come from and know that their food choices can have a huge impact. And, um, yeah, we hope that they'll think more compassionately and more justly about where their food comes from. So what kind of information can we get from your website? They can get information about a lot, all of this, mm-hmm. but how animals were raised and killed for food. We also have um, eating vegan on a budget, as was mentioned before. Our jazz put that together. We also have, um, which also includes meal ideas. We also have recipes. We have information on all these various commodities, including we also have information on how sea creatures are treated as well. I mean, we're so close to the ocean here, and we're destroying her. And, um, you know, there's, there's alternatives. There's different things that people can eat without destroying the, the ocean. So we, we have some time because you're briefer than I usually allow people to be. So thank you very much. Um, what comes to mind for me is, uh, once again, for someone who would like to consider adjusting their diet and wants to start someplace, you've got to open the door somewhere. What is the first thing you need to do? I would say open your heart. And understand that this isn't this isn't about anything that's that complicated. It's literally just about compassion and being able to look at yourself in the mirror every day and knowing you're not responsible for taking someone's life. Thank you. Lead I would suggest if your mom would write an essay about how you start this process, I think that may be very helpful because I think for a lot of people, um, all I needed to find out from Lauren was, how I replace my ice cream, and everything else became easy from that point forward. So I thank you very much. We have been talking today with folks from 
um, the, what they what they refer to is FEP, but it's the Food Empowerment Project. It was started by Lauren Ornalis, who's our guest in the studio today, along with Lee Geider, who is the administrative and program assistant for the program. Um, Kennedy Lee, probably Kennedy Little, who is the youth advocate coordinator, calling us on the phone, and she is in Kentucky. And um, Kennedy, we're going to ask that you please transcribe all of your comments from this program into writing, and we're going to make sure they're available to everybody. Because my hunch is Lauren will have them on the website by next week. It's um, will do. <laughs> um, it's it's been wonderful to have this program today, and I'm and I'm disorganized enough. I can't find my final page of notes here. Sorry about that. Um, this has been Central Coast Voices. I'm glad you've been with us today. Um, we want to uh, basically thank our, our guests. I think, among other things, I want to thank our guests because this is a topic that I believe gets argued by a lot of people when you share what your information is. Um, we are we are very tied to how we eat and what we eat, and sometimes our changes in that just kind of get in the way of us learning new things. So I thank you for sticking your necks out to do this, have this project going, and be on the program today. So I thank you very much for that. Next week, uh, Chris Kington Barker is going to be speaking with the founder and participants of At Her Table, which is a culinary event series that celebrates Women's History Month. The project supports over 300 women-owned restaurants in San Luis Obispo County alone, and they'll discuss the program focus, their history, and upcoming events that they have that are featuring um, and showcasing women uh, women as chefs and women in the food Uh, preparation and restaurant business and they're going to be with us next week on the program so be sure and join chris here for that program as i've shared with you many times central coast voices is a project of action for healthy communities in conjunction with kcbx we appreciate the station supporting us and being part of this thank you today to my guests lauren ornalis lee guider and kennedy little for being with us and talking about a topic that is challenging to talk about and probably challenging to to be presented sometimes. I thank you. This has been Central Coast Voices.